So in this BGSM podcast, we're joined by Dr. Yetsa Tuaki Wasonu, lead author of the BGSM Sports Equity E-Edition, and Dr. Jane Thornton, one of the BGSM's editors. So welcome to the podcast, Yetsa and Jane. Um, could I just get you, for the sake of our listeners, to introduce yourselves, please? My name is Dr. Jane Thornton. I'm uh, one of the editors at the BGSM. I'm a sports medicine physician and researcher, and it's a real privilege to be able to highlight uh, all the fantastic work that uh, uh, Yetza has done in this space. Yeah, and I am Dr. Yetza Twakwi, and I am also an associate editor at BJSM. Um, I'm also a sports medicine physician and a researcher, and it's really a joy to participate in this conversation today. Perfect. Well, it's great to have you both on board. Um, this is a question I'm going to aim at both of you, but maybe if we start with yourself, Jane. So um, we're really discussing the recently published e-edition, uh, as well as the editorial on sports equity. Um, can you tell us a little, about, a little bit about how these came about from your perspective? Yeah, thanks. From our perspective as an editorial board, we really have had a focus in the last year or so since we've started to nurture a diverse and inclusive environment for our editorial board, our reviewers and our authors, as, and as well as understanding that this uh, really reaches the broader sport and exercise medicine community. So from our perspective, the BGSM editions offer an opportunity to highlight key BGSM resources, which are enhanced by expert commentary on important and hot topics. So as an editorial board, as the four of us is discussing these all potential areas to focus on, we selected sport equity to capture those highest priorities of ours, which also align with our commitment to promoting equity, diversity, inclusion throughout the journal and sport and exercise medicine community. So we really saw in this first e-edition from our tenure as editors, really that this summary of information and coalescence of resources and discussions has been brought to a new level. So this e-edition we see is really required reading for all sport and exercise medicine professionals. And, and yet, so tell us a little bit about how you how you got involved and in, in your work in this sphere, because um, and Jane's touched on it. Then it's a um, it's a huge piece of work that and a huge amount of of effort that's gone into it, and um, from yourself and some of your other co-authors as well. Um, how did how did the journey start off, and how did it end up as the the edition we now see online? Yeah, thanks, Stefan, and thanks, Jane. I'll just add to what Jane said, focusing a little bit more on the BJSM leadership. So I had a long conversation with my dad just yesterday, actually. He's a professor of English who has developed whole semester-long courses on racism. And what he and his colleagues have found over the years is that the single most important factor influencing equity and inclusion in any institution is the message from the top. It has to be from the top. It has to be loud and clear. Leadership makes all the difference in this space here because things like racism, ableism, and all the rest are so deeply embedded in our psyches and come in so many different forms and fashions that they really do have powerful unconscious influence. These unconscious ideas, sometimes called unconscious biases, impact our behavior profoundly. So if leadership says certain kinds of behavior are just way beyond the pale, then the communities that they lead behave differently. Most people want to conform to the standards of their communities, high expectations, produce high-minded people. And from our very first editorial board meeting that I participated in, 
Professor John Dresner, uh, as Jane and I were just talking about El Capitan and his leadership team made their expectations of us as a BJSM community really clear. So they made it clear that equity and inclusion are the rules, but not the exceptions. And that diversity is a central priority, not some side project. And then just to underline the point, Dr. Dresner put sports equity front and center with this project. He just sort of tapped us on the shoulder and said, would you take this on? He gave us lots of creative bandwidth. So that was incredible in terms of the overall mutual respect and trust. And really there's nothing like backing up what you say with action. It just obliterates any doubt in us as associate editors and other members of the BJSM family that it's just lip service. Um, Dr. Dresner and Jane Thornton and John Patricios and Joanne Kemp made it very clear that here, this stuff really matters. Um, for me, it was a massive dose of encouragement. And honestly, under that kind of leadership, it was pretty easy and a joy to work to a pretty high standard of performance. So we tried to make it as comprehensive as possible, as Jane mentioned, and include resources that are easy to access for all in all different corners of the world. I think it's a really inspiring story. And I think a lot of our, our listeners, our readership, uh, as well as the wider SCM community will hopefully uh, echo what you said in terms of this, hopefully, and I think it's it's kind of testament to the hard work of the editor team. You know, it's very obvious how much of a priority this um, this area is for the journal. Um, and hopefully they're leading on that kind of internationally now. Um, yeah, so I'm going to pin you down and go into some of the um well, in, into some of the some of the kind of body of the e edition now. And um, for the sake of our listeners, uh, isn't equity the same as equality? Uh, and if not, what's the difference? <laughs> they are not the same, <laughs> Stefan. Thanks for thanks for the question. So equality is giving everyone the same thing, while equity is giving everyone what they uniquely need. So as a good example, um, we saw this in part of our research. You can achieve equality by giving everyone on a sports team the same sneakers and the same size, despite their actual shoe size. You can achieve equity, on the other hand, by giving everyone shoes in their individual shoe sizes so that they can perform comfortably. There are really quite a number of fantastic infographics and other resources that all of the listeners um, can discover online with just a quick Google search. I'm especially partial to one that we highlight in the e-edition, it's by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and they depict equality versus equity using hand cycles and bicycles to make their point. That's of course a really nice nod to some of the exercise medicine principles we promote in our field. Sure, and, and kind of taking that one step further, so we tell you in the e-edition cover equity, and um, what else can our listeners expect to see in this e-edition? So Stefan, this is um, a great question and uh, you know, I hope you're okay with a little bit of a longer answer um, because this project has two components actually. There was the editorial, which sets the stage and then the e-edition, which digs a lot deeper. If it's all right, I'll speak to both. So we anchored the editorial in a novel departure from a really classic dogma many of us have come to regard as gospel. We all know how the saying goes, sports is a microcosm of society, right? We've all heard it, we've said it, we've used it in talks, we've used it in papers. It's like sports, some kind of mirror image reflection of society, but just miniaturized and then contextualized by a field or a rink or a court and so forth. However, when we really thought about it and we stripped away some of the superficial features of modern sport, we actually arrived at the exact opposite premise. Sport is far from society's reflection. Rather, 
It offers society a vision of what it could be and should very well learn from. So that's the idea that centers the editorial, but also it energizes us as sport and exercise medicine professionals who are living through really turbulent times. And like everybody else are looking for a model of equity that we can actually rely on. So what we are suggesting is that while society offers oppressive ways and exploitative systems to further its own flourishing, sport offers non-oppressive, equitable ways of human beings interacting to further their own flourishing. That's what sport does. It's really who sport is. And that's what we as sport professionals have as our common currency. It's no accident that if you check out the editorial, we point to the role of children at play really early on. If you think about what's behind it, inquisitiveness, joy, connection, the freedom to self-actualize, et cetera, all of those positive things that we associate with healthy childhoods are on full display when children are at play. It's communal, everybody participates, it's democratic, it's fun, and actually it's, um, it's not just for kids. So I'll, I'll just tell a little story from my own, my own life. Um, serendipitously, uh, and I do love serendipity because it makes us feel like we're kind of part of something bigger than ourselves. Just last week on Friday, I was at a friend's house for dinner. And as you may know, this is a very new city for me. So I hadn't actually been to anyone's home yet for supper. Uh, don't worry, we're all vaccinated, just to, just to make a point of that. So there were three families there. And somehow, as the evening wound down, this gaggle of kids who ranged from age two to 12 came onto the porch and asked us all if we would please play a round of Duck, Duck, Goose. So Duck, Duck, Goose is a North American game that I'm sure finds parallels in every global community. You sit around in a circle. Someone, duck number one, walks around the perimeter of the circle, tapping, sitting ducks on their heads and saying duck, duck, duck each time. As soon as they tap someone's head, but instead say goose, the goose stands up and then chases the tapping duck around the outside of the circle, back to the spot they left open, back to home. If the goose tags the duck before they make it home, the duck must sit in the middle of the circle, which morbidly is called the soup, as in duck soup. So four of us brave adults decided to play with the kids. And Stefan and Jane, I don't know what came over us last Friday. It was highly competitive and it was a riot. We were all beaming, laughing, giggling, and excitedly anticipating being called Goose. There was this lovely four-year-old who, upon realizing that she wasn't, in fact, as fast as her eight-year-old brother, kept cutting across the middle of the circle to make it home. And then there was me, who, having never played a tackling sport in my life, inexplicably out of desperation, dove like I was on a baseball diamond when I realized my friend Nadia is strangely just really fast when running around the living room in small radius circles. It was delightful. And all of us from the two-year-old to the 42-year-old experienced exactly what we discuss in this project, the positive benefits of play that define sport. Sometimes those simple things are really the most powerful. So just a note about the word sport. Um, two of the authors in the editorial and in the e-edition, Yuka Su and Dekea Hazip Sathayu, take it all the way back to the beginning. They teach us the very meaning of the word sport. The French desport and then the English desport literally mean pleasant pastime. That's it. Sports are the games we play for fun. In other words, people who play competitive games universally have available to them 
the same slate of expansive physical and emotional experiences that when summarized, boil down to feeling more fully alive. So the terms sport and athlete here include everyone. Now, before people think it's all caregivers and rainbows, we are not so naive as to believe that sport is in, it current, in its current form, always such an egalitarian ideal. No, we do know that society's divisions and exclusions bleed into some forms of sport, especially at high levels, when considerations of power, prestige, and material gain come into the equation. However, the ideal of sport, as all of us envision it, in other words, sport as play that doesn't seek domination over others and is fundamentally joyful, really does give us a vision of human interaction that's refreshing and an alternative to the model of oppression that we, that we live in. Sport in this form is an aspiration. It's sort of like a beacon that can guide our societal processes as we seek better ways of flourishing. So that's what's in the editorial. In the e-edition, we dig a lot deeper, highlighting five specific inequities that surface in sport. One, abuse. Two, racism. Three, ableism. Four, sexism. And five, transphobia. We spend a good amount of time walking the readers through the power gaps that give rise to all of these issues, as well as their structural underpinnings. We heavily cite University of Toronto professor Nicole Kaniki as we tell the common origin story all inequities share. They're all rooted in systemic structural power imbalance between those on the margins of society and those at the center. As we explain, macro and microaggressions, the disadvantaged endure are incredibly painful and they unfairly make them jump through hoops to constantly prove their humanity day after day. And they have very real physiological, economic, and even mortality-related consequences. Those in the margins include racialized groups, those who identify as girls and women, those with disabilities, those who are sexual minorities, those who identify as gender non-binary, those with overweight or obesity, the elderly, and so forth. It's a really long list. So the marginalized actually make up the numeric majority in most cases. On the other hand, the psychic, economic, and health benefits, the advantaged experience as they antagonize the disadvantaged unconsciously or consciously are real and immeasurable. Those in the center are non-racialized. Those who identify as boys and men, heterosexual, cisgendered, and so forth and so on. The whole thing is a very familiar insider-outsider story of power and division. You know, uh, in a final round of copy edits for the e-edition and also for the editorial, one of our authors, Sean Tweedy, articulated it beautifully when he describes society as dystopian. I just thought that was well said, never better said, actually. It's a pretty dark reality. But we can only dismantle something when we're familiar with its inner workings, right? That's what we do as scientists, strip down to the studs and figure out how things work. Sometimes just out of curiosity, but other times so we can rebuild, but better. Yeah, so as you know, my next question was going to be, why is, it, why is this issue so important? But I think you've just articulated that beautifully there. And I think something that Jane touched on earlier, that this is really a, a must read for anyone working in kind of the specialty of sport and exercise medicine. Um, I'm going to move on. I know you've got some some really 
interesting and some really useful and practical kind of um, examples that you want to use. So um, I think for some, this could be uncomfortable reading um, and it might just make people reflect that their behaviours or their environments potentially compound the the status quo of inequity, be that kind of consciously or unconsciously. And um, what would you say to these people? And what things really should we all be doing in sports medicine? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, there's sort of a way, I think, in terms of um, what we can do in terms of just accepting that sense of discomfort, um, probably about three things. Um, and then separately, there are sort of more specific ways that I think we can use um, this e-edition and um, and editorial. So in terms of addressing our discomfort, um, three things. Number one, take a deep breath. Number two, lean into the science of all of this. And number three, remember your why. So the first thing is to take a deep breath. Um, for those who haven't yet seen Valerie Alexander's TED Talk, please, by all means, watch it. Um, this thought exercise that we're about to go through is directly from her. And it's something you can do with your coworkers, team members, and so forth. So I'm going to invite you, Stefan, and also your listeners and Jane um, to close your eyes. And the visualization portion of this is actually very important. So as long as you're not driving or otherwise uh, indisposed, please do try and close them. So with both eyes closed, take a deep breath. Then imagine an inconsolable football player writhing in pain on the football pitch the doctor and the team rush out to see what's going on. They cart the player off the field. And later, everyone finds out that this star athlete has completely torn their ACL and the championship matches next week. Even the surgeon on the team feels helpless. Now, imagine the Tokyo 2020 games. A sprinter crosses the finish line in victory, then jogs over to the stands and surprises their training partner by proposing marriage right then and there, under the lights with the whole world watching. Okay, open your eyes. In the first scenario, was the football player transgender? Were the doctors who rushed onto the field black or indigenous? Was the surgeon in your mind's eye a woman? In the second scenario, was the sprinter blind? And was their training partner, now their fiance, of the same gender? Don't worry, when I first did this exercise, I was shocked. All of the damaging stereotypes I know all too well, as a black woman who works in a medical field that prioritizes disability, were on full display in my mind as I imagined these scenarios. The footballer was a man, the doctors were all men, no one was black, there were no women, and no one had a disability in my mind's eye. That's the insidiousness of bias. I think it's a really good exercise you can do um, as any teaching, um, in any teaching capacity with those who are learners around you. But it really highlights the fact that no matter who you are, we're all affected and therefore implicated. It's on all of us to just actively unlearn these tropes try to replace them with some egalitarian views of the world, and then also acquire new skills for interacting with each other more equitably. Um, as a note of reassurance, all of this does take time and practice. My coach, when I was still training, used to always do very well um, when it came to calming down my, my frustration whenever he introduced a new skill. He would say, there are four phases to learning something new. During phase one, you're a novice, unconsciously incompetent. 
during phase two, your intermediate here, you're consciously incompetent still. In phase three, you're advanced, therefore consciously competent, but still, you know, it's a lot of neural energy because nothing's automatic. And finally, you reach phase four, expert, where you're unconsciously competent. I don't think any of us are going to be expert and have automatic absence of biases in this space, but we can certainly commit to trying to go through the phases of learning. Um, one of the authors of the e-edition, Patho Zandi, says it really well when she asks us to approach the work with just as much rigor as we approach sports injuries that are accidental. So I think even though some of these growing pains are inevitably painful, I think they're easy to accept once we realize that they're necessary, we're all implicated, and they will eventually push us forward um, to higher levels of, of equity. So that's number one, just take a deep breath, realize that this affects all of us. Number two, try to lean into the science. Okay, I think you know, we've treated these topics as emotional and sometimes even political, when in fact, they're scientific issues. There are really specific and relevant data that could help penetrate people's unfamiliarity and discomfort with these topics, while at the same time, piquing their natural curiosity in manuscripts about trauma, resources about the neurobiology of positive emotions that they may not have seen before. And I think once that natural curiosity takes over, especially in sport and exercise medicine professionals, people will tend to want to continue to learn more. Uh, so my advice would be try to drill down to the primary sources wherever possible. Scientists like Barbara Fredrickson is amazing, for example, um, with her study of the neurobiology of positive emotions. Um, scientists like Bessel van der Kolk is phenomenal when, with his work when it comes to the neurobiology of trauma. Um, and then not only try to drill down to primary sources, but try to be precise with definitions. Gail Knudsen, one of our co-authors, demonstrates that for us by expertly differentiating between terms like sexism, heterosexism, and transphobia. So just take a look at the science. Be really encouraged that these resources are at your fingertips for those who have good and accessible connectivity and those who don't or who may not be able to access digital libraries or librarians, just watch this space. I know this and other topics like this are a priority for BJSM. So there is plenty more to come over the next few years. And then the last thing is number three, um, which is remember your why. So especially now, again, we're all going through the same tumult. We really cannot lose sight of who we are and where we came from in sport. Our roots and our history inform our understanding of the present and they have the potential to positively shape our future. Um, it sounds silly and it, and it does sound overly simplistic, but it's true that every time kids play games, we see that there are elements of sport that don't depend on society for validation or permission. They never have, they never will. In that way, sports stands both within and way outside of society. Uh, during one of the final rounds of edits, again, um, all of the senior editors kept underlining that word opportunity. And it really resonated with me because as sport professionals living through this global pandemic and then simultaneous social and racial reckoning, we have a unique opportunity to reaffirm who we are as sports people and then take a leadership role in teaching society how to do EDI. As usual, we should let our actions do more of the talking than our talking, um, but our field is really unique. It has a power that most others just don't. 
Um, some might argue, okay, music and art have similar qualities, but sport has an inherently level foundation and joy is its central intention. So some of that positivity that's immediately available when you start playing is replicable anytime in any setting, in any competitive level where sports played. Um, so to me, that's the magic of it. I think we're lucky to be part of sport. Not every field has the opportunities that we have access to. So the question for all the listeners and also just anybody in sport and exercise medicine is, is what are we going to do with them and how we're going to use them positively uh, to try to shape the society that we're, that we all find ourselves in. Yeah. So, so to the clinicians listening to this and who are going to be reading this edition, how can they use that in their personal, their professional lives? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for the question. It's so important to come down to brass tacks and practicality. So the key message is take a both and approach, not either or, both and. Both acknowledge negative and focus on the positive. Okay, so the analogy I thought of was we know we have to clean up our house, right? But at the same time, we can happily acknowledge the beautiful china cabinet we see as we walk to take the trash out, right? It's a both and. So understand what's going on in society and pay attention to how your sports environment may be inadvertently echoing society's damaging narratives. Be intentional, be respectful, and help your small microcosm of environment operate differently by modeling the behavior you wanna see and making sure your leadership is on board. At the same time, Always take moments to reflect on why you love sports, why you love play, why you love recreation. Most of us in this field are athletes ourselves, love being around athletes in sports, et cetera. Maintaining a consistent athletic practice can really help with that. There's one more scientist I, I wanna mention. Her name is Kia Darling Hammond. She does this both and approach really well. She developed something called the thriving framework. She teaches people how to navigate negative biases while simultaneously engaging in positive change. She tells people pour significant resources into unlearning bias, partly by placing emphasis on experiences where there's fun and exploration. For the sports people listening, that might be your morning row down the river or your weekly squash game with friends. Those experiences qualify as fun and explorative and can undo some of the biases that we're all um, negatively affected by. So hopefully that helps. The key message is taking a both and as opposed to an either or approach. Yeah, so that, that's wonderful. I think it's, I mean, inspiring, enlightening. There's a few other <laughs> words I could throw in there, but that it, it's just absolutely phenomenal. And I think, again, just underlines there. I know I'm, I'm sure as, as uh, you know, being on the social media side of the journal is a lot of things we might say a, a must read for people but this really can't emphasize enough uh, really is um you i know you you know for for the resources that you've outlined um in the last kind of 10-15 minutes we'll make sure there's links uh, to these in the blurb and on social media as well um, but if people want to find out a little bit more about you or your, or your work what's the best way to kind of connect with you oh um terrible with social media but our website, our lab is um, sportsequitylab.com. I, I think people can learn more there. Um, I guess I might start there, if that sounds appropriate. I think that sounds perfect, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so again, just a huge thanks for your time on this podcast. And as I said, we will be promoting the e-edition really heavily over the next few uh, weeks and months, especially it's there front and centre of the BGSM homepage online as well. Um, so, yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. And, and Jane, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us as well at the, at the start of the podcast. Um, and to our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this BGSM podcast and that you'll join us again soon uh, and hope you have a wonderfully physically active day.